I think everyone needs a coach. I mean, mentorship and guidance have been incredibly crucial in our development as a company. So I thought I'd introduce you to some amazing coaches as part of this special series of Meet My Business. So on today's episode of Meet My Business, I have the great pleasure to introduce you to Colleen Quist. She's a life coach and confidential sounding board for doctors. Um, she helps doctors practice self-care, improve relationships, manage stress, and just enjoy being a doctor. Um, and today we're going to be talking all about clients, how to handle them when they're you know, not bringing their best. Um, but before we get to that, Colleen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Pleasure, and thank you so much for the invitation, Ethan. Awesome. So um, before we get into the main topic of discussion today, Colleen, could you just maybe introduce yourself, give us a bit of your background and kind of what you do? Okay. All right. Well, back in 2012, I worked in medical devices and thought it was time for something new. So I headed off to go to open my own company, thinking that being an entrepreneur would be the same as corporate skills, and then soon discovered, uh-oh, didn't um, have the skills to be an entrepreneur, so I had to go learn them. And at the time, you know, I would ask people questions and everyone would say, oh, you'll work it out. So I always promised to be the person that I needed back then. Yeah, and then 12 years yeah, 12 years later, very much, or oh, 11 years in the 12th year, um, um, master coach, master mentor, and yeah, the time goes by. So I just understand why doctors have become your main area of expertise and focus. How did that happen? So I work with professional people, and that has gone into being doctors, healthcare professionals. I think because healthcare professionals are so busy looking after people that they often forget to look after themselves or grow themselves. And as much as, you know, you look at leadership in in other professionals, you know, we've been going to leadership courses forever and ever, whereas healthcare has always been saving people. It's It's been a natural progression, and especially with me having come from healthcare. Getting on to the main topic of discussion today, clients. So <laughs> clients behaving badly is genuinely an issue that I think every entrepreneur faces at some point, every business owner faces at some point. And it can be super, super awkward because they're the one paying you, right? So I personally really struggle with communicating boundaries. I've in the past let clients kind of walk all over me, pay late, deliver things wrong. And then ultimately I'm the one who looks bad because I can't deliver what they would want me to deliver um, because they didn't come to the party, but now it's awkward to explain that. I'd love to understand from you, how do we rectify this? So how, like, where do we start even? Okay, so great question. Um, you find that even as business owners, as coaches, but even as parents, we don't put in the boundaries. We don't communicate. We don't contract up front. And so it's very much about sitting down with yourself or with a coach and asking yourself what's important to you. So like, you know, where you've said there that there are things that you've allowed the customer or the client to walk all over you. So often we see ourselves, especially in the beginning, that we have no value. And so we're running around trying to get clients. And if you think I should do this by two tomorrow morning, yes, okay, like Jim, and you're going to do it by two tomorrow. Um, you know, the client says, well, I'll pay you when you catch me. And we go, oh, okay, thank you so much for the business. So in those early days, we often don't appreciate the value that we bring to the equation. And so it's a very unequal power base. That's the first thing. 
And then the second thing is to be able to have big conversations. Not only, yes, did you have a contract, what was in the contract, what was agreed to, but a lot of people can squiggle things in contracts and they're not, oh, those two embarrassing, can't talk about it. And, you know, certainly one of those things, I mean, for you, I imagine would be delivery dates and, um, you know, I can do this for you by Friday, you know, um, or I will do this for you by Friday if you send me your your bio, your this and your that, the next thing, and then I don't send it to you, and then you go, oh, well, you didn't deliver. So, so being very clear about, you know, whatever your business is, what's important to you, um, what is required from the customer or the client in order for you to be able to do your job, and then to be able to communicate that. And to contract. So our contractor, and a lot of people think, oh, contracts all legal, you know, but contracts are discussion of saying, okay, John, how are we going to work together? What is expected? What are the expectations from me? What are the expectations from you? And how are we going to carry that out? Because I think one of the big things that I felt is like a fear to put anything on the client. And I think ultimately it's the fear of scaring them away because uh, we deal with you know, short-term contracts or just work that comes when it comes, as opposed to full-time employment where you know your employer is going to pay you at the end of the month. There's this fear that um, if I do anything to upset the client, then they're going to vanish, and then what's going to happen to me? So then we put ourselves in this position where we're not doing our best work because we aren't actually, uh, like as you said, with deliverables, a big thing for me with podcast editing is that I need you to send me that podcast episode about a week or two before you want it released so that we have the best chance of getting the best product out there. And then if you send it to me the Friday and it must go out on Monday, there's no way it's going to be as good. But there's been many situations in my life where I just goes like, thanks, I'll get it to you by Monday because I'm so scared of actually losing that client. How do we start to like change these negative patterns? Beautiful example is to understand that not all people are our clients. And so in those early days, and unfortunately for some people, even in the late days, we, we're so busy running around thinking everybody who moves is a client. Everybody that moves is our client and that we want them. As opposed to saying, no, what are my values? What are my ethics? What do I expect from you? And if you don't toe the line on those, well, then you're not my client. So I see often examples where you see like on social media where someone says, oh, I need two T-shirts printed by six tomorrow morning or midnight. And you'll see how many people jump to now go and print two T-shirts at midnight. And it's a case of no. How much money are you actually going to get from two T-shirts? I think we do it with the hope that it's going to be turning to two million T-shirts, but it doesn't. It teaches your clients how to teach you, how to treat you. And so it's more a case of, you know, so yes, in the beginning we would go, oh, let's, yes, me, I'll do it for you. I'll print your t-shirt. But then it's, it's more a case of saying, mm, do I print t-shirts at midnight? No, I don't. Well, I, and yes, there are, but rather jump through hoops for the existing client who has got an emergency and they've paid you a fortune over the years you've printed six trillion t-shirts and whatever's and whatever's for them 
and they say, you know, Mary, I have this emergency. Please, can you help me? Sure, I can help you. But when you start jumping through ridiculous hoops because other people haven't planned, you are setting yourself up to continue like that. Yeah. And and I love what you said about teach tri- clients how to treat you. So um, a couple of years ago, I was doing podcast editing for a certain company. And that example I mentioned earlier was literally what kept happening. We get the worst quality video possible uh, and the shortest amount of time possible to get this podcast out. And ultimately, I was never particularly happy with the end result. Um, but, you know, they kept on and we kept doing it and kept going. And it, and it got to the point where I realized that the client actually viewed me as lesser than because of how I let them treat me. And it, it ended up to a point where the client would ask for advice on certain things. We'd give them that advice. They would not take that advice. And then we just keep having the cycle to the point where they ended up hiring a expensive consultant who I sat in a meeting with who gave them the exact same advice. And then they took the advice. And I realized it's because <laughs> this client ultimately did not view me as the level that I was at. I wasn't producing the work that I was capable of because of the way that the client was handling the process, even though we explained to them over and over again, we need more time. And then... It ended up with them eventually, ultimately, using consultants to create this entire strategy that myself and another person had literally created six months before that. And it was a really, really harsh lesson for me because we genuinely believed that we were able to execute on this project and we ultimately never were able to do it in the way we wanted to. And I think ultimately it was on us because um, we never said no. We're not going to release that on Monday. We can't release that on Monday because the quality is bad and it's too late. And then COVID ultimately complicated that entire situation because then you get so scared of losing anything that I think a lot of people, specifically in in the year 2020, just let people walk all over them entirely because of that fear of, oh my word, if I even upset them in the slightest, um, you're going to lose something. Yeah, so it's spot on there what you've said in that what we allow persists. And we teach the client what we allow. But it's also important that, you know, to understand your own value, to know why your client's going to pay you, because they're not paying you for the 20 minutes or the hour or the three hours that you spend with them. They're paying you for the outcome, for for the results, Okay. And it's that so often we don't believe in our, oh, you know, you spend 20 minutes with me or you spent an hour with me. But it's no, if you hadn't spent that hour with me, what would have happened? So it's important to know that you partner with your clients to produce the T-shirt, to make the podcast, for me to coach them. And I don't work harder than my clients. I don't try and do it all for you. You know, you know. please create a newsletter for me. Okay, what are we going to put in this newsletter? Oh, I don't know. Um, you know, if you don't give me the information in your company, I can't create you a newsletter. So it's being very clear. And then also what happens is that even if you have contracted, you find that people go go into, you know, old habits and they forget. And that's where it's so important that we recontract. 
that we say, uh, remember that we were going to talk about whatever and we needed your content by Wednesday in order for us to produce it by Friday. I've noticed for the last two weeks, this is not happening. What's happening? You know, how are we going to change it? Because we cannot produce your content by Friday if you haven't given it to us by Wednesday. So we, we tiptoe around the difficult conversations and we don't uphold the boundaries. So, so lots of things. We don't know what our own boundaries are. We don't communicate them and we don't uphold them. One way that this shows up a lot is with money, specifically invoicing. I think a lot of us are trapped in a cycle of late invoices, very quick to ask for results, very quick to ask for deliverables. But when the money needs to be paid, now it's on the back burner and we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, and that has like very serious consequences for any company when you are counting on money coming out at a certain day. So it seems obvious, you know, okay, set boundaries, don't let them do it. But I feel like there's still a mental block that a lot of us have to actually get to that point. And I'd like to know from you, how do you help people get through that? Okay. So there it's about um, making sure that it's something that you agree with. Okay. So say, for instance, you need to be paid within a week. All right. So you need to be paid by the seventh of the month or something like that. And it's very much that the person doesn't pay. So for me in my business, I know the whole process that I send the invoice to X, X sends it to Y. What happens to it after that? Okay. And I make sure that in the whole process, all the people in the chain know who I am. Because it's very easy to not pay someone you it's more, you know, it's it's more difficult when you know the person to like not press the button. That's the first thing. Then the second thing, a lot of people have, oh, no, but, you know, I was too embarrassed to ask. Or no, but how could I, you know, obviously they knew that I had to be, oh, okay. I mean, I'll give you an example with my accountants where I'm a great one for not opening the invoice because it's a set amount each, each month. And she eventually said to me, oh, you know, Colleen, you hadn't paid for um, the two bits for tax or something, whatever. And I was thinking, but why didn't you tell me the first month? Because she said, oh, no, I know that you don't like open the invoice to check the amount. It's that fear. And, and specifically with money issues, I think one of my biggest pet peeves about society is how scared we all are as a society to talk about money. Um, and like in the corporate environment, I believe that it like actively holds employees back. It's ludicrous to me that people get fired for discussing their salary with their colleague. Because who's the one we should be upset with? It should be the person that's not paying us equally, not the person that's, you know, my colleague. Um, and I think societally, like, there's been this whole thing of like, no, we don't talk about money. That's not that's not something we talk about. But then you go and start up your own business and still have that mindset or at least have remnants of that, like, societal pressure to not talk about money. But ultimately, it makes zero sense because somebody has to pay you at the end of the day. Um I'm curious to hear your take on like this notion of, you know, we don't talk about money yet, like society. Yeah. So it is our own relationship with money and also say, oh, you know, we don't talk about it. We don't whatever. But ultimately we are being passive about it. So, you know, when you're passive, you're the doormat. The other person wins. 
And so what often happens is we we think that we're having empathy for the client who hasn't paid us. Oh, well, you know, they're busy or cash flow is an issue or gee, unfortunately, what we also do is we say, oh, well, maybe our design wasn't as good as we thought it was. And mm, okay, we won't push them now because maybe they'll go find someone else that's going to do yellow stripes instead of blue stripes. And so that's where we have a passive approach. And then the other approach, because often passive people, they put up with it, they put up with it, and they put up with it, and then they explode. So then you have Mount Vesuvius exploding all over, or as I say from a healthcare point of view, where we suddenly vomit all over everybody, and they think, what's wrong with her? But it's it's more a case of each day we need to be assertive, but not only assertive of saying how do we both win, what do we agree to, but it's also about I'm surprised when you get some people where the client doesn't pay this month, but you still continue to work for them. And then eight months down the line, you know, we haven't been paid, but we still continue to work for them. And so this is where we teach the client, don't pay me, I'll still do the work. And then we get cross with the client because how do they not pay us? But we've taught them, we'll still do the work, but don't worry about paying us. Yeah, so it's about assertive the whole way through. And then also for me, I have an affirmation that my clients pay on time. So just as much as I have an affirmation that I attract awesome people, I also have my clients pay on time. And if they don't pay on time, they're clearly on my client. And so that's where, you know, sometimes clients do go through tough times, but we need to make sure that we have empathy so we empower, not sympathy. If we start coming up with O'Shea, the poor little Nunu, we're using the wrong approach. So it has to be, is your empathy empowering? Or are you disempowering with O'Shane? Because you end up being the biggest O'Shane when you can't pay your own bills. So what are some practical steps that a business owner can take right now listening to this and thinking, oof, that's me. I'm I'm not working with clients in the way that I want to be. What's some practical yes. steps they can take like today? Okay. So the big thing with that is working out what is important to you. So when you work with some organizations, they pay in 60 days. Okay. But then making sure, and, you know, as much as people complain about government, for instance, government pays in 60 days, to the dot, absolute, to the to the last nanosecond. But did you submit your invoice on time? What, did it have the correct information on it? If it had to have an order number or a something other or whatever, did it have those things? Because that delays the, the system. Then also knowing, do you know the system? So what I would say to somebody, the business person sitting out here, you know, sitting there right now listening to us is saying, what needs to be changed? But often it's not changing the client, it's changing you. So for example, in your example of saying, okay, I'm not being paid. Let's go back to what are the requirements in your business? People must pay within a week, a month, a day, three hours, whatever it is, okay? And then saying, re-communicate it. But often what happens is that when, we, when we've allowed people to pay whenever they like, and now we come along by saying, hey, by the way, that's where I say to my clients is about having a line in the sand meeting of saying, yes, up until today, you could pay whenever. But from tomorrow, 
this is what's going to happen, and here's the consequence. And then you need to uphold the consequence. Yeah, and I think also the fear that it's going to chase clients away is obviously an irrational one. And if someone gets chased away by something like pay on time or give me what you need, give me your deliverables on time so I can do the task for you. As you said, they're not your client. You can't possibly work with somebody who would would be chased away by that because that means that they came into this already willing to kind of mess you around. But do you see what happens is they've got different standards and ethics. And it's funny how people apply different standards when they want to be paid mm. compared to when they are they are paid. So it's also about all the people. How do you pay your accounts? Are you paying on time? Are people running after you? Do you have excuse number 497 about why you haven't paid the milk account? Because remember what's out there comes back. So just to summarize there, it's to say often we want to fix things. And so we look out there and say they must change. But it's not them who must change. It's us. So what is important to you? What needs to get re-communicated? And are you going to be big enough to have those big conversations and to uphold the results to saying, okay, you didn't do X, Y, Z. Here's the consequence. And no, not every single person is our customer. Yeah. And especially in the early days, as you said, you kind of just take on everyone and everyone who is willing to look towards you. And it, it ultimately just doesn't benefit you in the long term. I'll, I'll give you an example from the first year when I was coaching. And, you know, you like looking for all your clients and who are they and all those kind of things. And one person said, oh, Colleen, I have to, I just have to work with you as a coach. And I was so excited about, wow, you know. And then she said to me, oh, but how much did you charge? And I gave her the number, which was a very, very small number in those days. And she said, oh, no, I can't pay that. She said, I tell you what, let's just go for coffee. And then I said, and talk about what? She said, no, we can talk about what I need to talk about. So there it was. And then I said, mm, no, mm. I'm not your coach, but I'm sure that there's somebody out there who will be your coach. Have you found it there? Yeah. This is definitely not my customer. <laughs> yeah. and, and so it's a case of where they want the value, but they're not willing to pay for the value. And paying for the value doesn't always have to be money. It can be, you know, if you are a hairdresser and, you know, you can always swap, you can always swap. And it's not just so much of like, okay, one podcast for one haircut, okay? It still would work on the value of of what it is that you do. One podcast costs this much, one haircut costs that much. So maybe you've got to have three haircuts for one podcast. But it's about saying that the moment you go, oh, I'll do it for free, somebody's paying for it. And our time is so limited as it is as entrepreneurs. We are constantly juggling a million balls. And to sit and slave away for free work that, that doesn't lead anywhere and that doesn't even, at the very least, might not even lead to a referral in the first place because do they really value your work at, at that point as well? So genuinely, it's just you spending up your bandwidth. And so the pro bono work that I do I send an invoice and then I discount it 100%. So if I work with the board, for instance, and they go, yay, you know, look what we would have had to pay, but Colleen contributed her time, her energies, her effort to whatever. But when you say, oh, it's just free, well, guess what? 
Colleen's just free. Yeah, I, I love that a lot. Colleen, if somebody would like to get a hold of you, perhaps work with you, how do they do so? Okay, so it's quite easy to find me because of my strange name. <laughs> so very available on social media. But you could also probably the easiest would be to email me on colleen.quist at gmail.com. That's the email that's just um, easily available. Remember, my name is but two L's, two E's, and Quist is QV, not QU. It's QVISD. All the links will be in the description of the episode. So please check out the website and add Colleen on LinkedIn. If you've been thinking about starting a podcast but don't really know where to start, go to our website, Baird.media. That's B-A-I-R-D.media. You can find the book, Become a Podmaster, everything you need to know to master the art of podcasting. And you can also sign up to one of our mentorship programs where we help you figure out, develop, and produce your show from start to finish.